Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the co-director of charts at Billboard. Joining me, as always, is Billboard's deputy editor, digital, Katie Atkinson. Hi, Katie. Hi, that's me. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. How about you? Fine. You're like, that's me. (laughs) That's my cue. Deputy editor, digital. That's me. Katie Atkinson. (laughs) Um, Well, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world O-pop. Today on the show, we'll be chatting about chart news, about Black Panther the album, Drake's God's Plan, and Khalid and Normani's new single that's hitting the charts. And since the Academy Awards are this Sunday, March 4th, we'll be joined by the Hollywood Reporter's senior awards analyst and host of the Awards Chatter podcast, Scott Feinberg. We'll chat with Scott about the two music categories, Best Original Score and Best Original Song, and get his expert analysis on who would take home the Oscar in both categories this year. Plus, we've got an interview with chart-topping superstar artist, DJ, and producer Zed. We caught up with him recently for a fascinating chat about his fast-rising single, The Middle, with Marin Morris and Gray, and much more. So stick around for that in just a little bit. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes so you won't miss an episode, and give us a rating or review while you're at it. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, Visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcasts. Okie dokie. Let's run. Let's just run away. Let's run. <laughs> let's run <laughs> through the field. Um, I'm trying, um, there's a song I'm thinking of. I was thinking of uh, Carly Rae Jepsen. Oh. Run away with me. And then I was like, I want to run. I want to hide. Now I'm thinking of you too. Um, well, let's run the Billboard chart numbers and do the chart chat. Here are three of the biggest headlines on the charts. First up, Black Panther, the album, spends a second week at number one on the Billboard 200 chart as the set earned 131,000 equivalent album units in the week ending February 22nd, according to Nielsen Music. That's down just a very slim 15% compared to its opening week when it debuted with 154,000 units. Normally, when an album debuts at number one, it has a huge drop-off in its second week. But also normally, the film doesn't come out that second week. Indeed, which is part of the reason why Black Panther has done so well in its second week, because the film actually opened on the first day of um, the album's second tracking week, um, February 16th. Uh, Fun fact, with Black Panther, the album earning 131,000 units in its second week, that makes it the biggest second week for a soundtrack since 2015. That year, on the chart dated March 7th, the Fifty Shades of Grey album tallied 165,000 units in its second week, after debuting with 258,000 units a week earlier. Uh, Also, which I don't have on our notes, and um, I don't have a specific chart position for it, but I just thought I'd throw it out there as a fun fact, the Black Panther score 
soundtrack, Mm -hmm. um, which is just obviously the score from the film. Also debuts on the Billboard 200, but also at number one on our World Albums chart. Oh. Uh, World Albums is our chart for basically music that is of native, like native music or sort of inspired by from foreign countries. So it, it, Usually there's a lot of K-pop on it. A lot of K-pop on there. But like Celtic music, Irish music, uh, you know, Cuban music, I think, you know, and African music. In this case. I mean, there's a lot of, this case, this album is very much inspired by African rhythms, instrumentation. There's African musicians. And so kind of cool to see this Black Panther album at number one on the World Album Chart. It's kind of an unstoppable cultural phenomenon at the moment. As it should be. This Black Panther thing. (laughs) It's sticking around. (laughs) Next up, Drake's God's Plan. You may have heard of it. Well, it's still number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart for a fifth week. And this week, who boy, did it gain. Uh, thanks to the February 16th release of its music video, the one where Drake basically gives away a million dollars to random people and organizations, the song actually has its biggest week yet at number one. The song had a huge gain in streams, rising 35% to 101.7 million streams in the week ending February 22nd. That is the second largest streaming week ever for a song, and the only week bigger was when Bauer's viral hit Harlem Shake had 103.1 million on the chart dated March 2nd, 2013. And of course, a lot of that was just viral memes where people were like posting videos of themselves dancing to Harlem Shake. Which God's plan does not have that. Does not have a viral meme yet. So Drake, get on that. Ooh, people should start giving money away. Yes. And then back it with the song. Yeah. Just like (laughs) film yourself giving away money to people who need it. Just doing like a good deed and set it to God's plan. (laughs) That would actually be a really positive viral meme. I think so too. Drake, if you're listening, (laughs) uh, let's make it happen. Hashtag Drake challenge. Um, Drake is so far yeah, exactly <laughs> the ha- hashtag God's plan challenge. Um, well, because the song is so enormous at number one, we're going to be settling in for a nice long run atop the chart from Drake. Um, I, if you have a guess for how long it'll be number one, Ooh, tell us. Tweet us. I mean, is so it, how how long was one dance number one? It was like eight weeks or something, wasn't it? I, ooh, it seemed like it was a little bit longer. longer? I, mean, I will. I want to say like, well, I don't know. I feel like it could have an, a similar trajectory. It yeah. feels like that kind of song. Is this is this a Despacito type hit? Uh. Is this like more of a Ed Sheeran? Well, no, it's got to be bigger than Ed Sheeran's Perfect because that was just six weeks. Mm. Well, could this be all time? I'm gonna just go. I'm gonna go. I'm going to go... 10? That's what I was going to say. Let's I was going to say 10. 9 or 10, but I thought I had 10. I'm going with 10. Let's do 10 and see what happens. Okay, pop Watch. shop prediction, 10. Rihanna drops a song tomorrow. <laughs> so much for that. Surprise Beyonce album. <laughs> a Beyonce and Rihanna collaboration. Um, lastly, uh, Khalid and Normani's collaboration, Love Lies, from the Love, Simon soundtrack, debuts at number 43 on the Hot 100. It's Khalid's <laughs> ninth chart hit in a little over 19 a year. 19-year-old Khalid. Uh, didn't he actually, didn't he just have a birthday? Where's I think he turns 20 next month. He debuted on the chart basically a little over a year ago, and now this is his ninth chart hit in that span of time, which is nuts. He just turned 20. Wow. <laughs> and uh, this is Normani's first ever solo hit on the Hot 100. Um, Normani is now the third member of the group Fifth Harmony to chart on the Hot 100 as a solo artist, following, of course, uh, Camila Cabello, who... departed the group but while she was with the group had a solo hit or two Mm -hmm. and uh, Lauren Haregi 
This song is good, you guys. Love Lies. It is like so catchy and good. Um, have you read? I actually. Have you read the book that Love Simon is based on? No, I hadn't heard anything about this until I saw the trailer for the movie. Um, I it was one of those things where I was like, I I saw the trailer for the movie and I, it, I maybe the trailer said something about based on the book mm. and the book isn't called Love Simon; it's called something else. Oh, and then I was poking around on Amazon and I was in a book buying spree mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, let me. It was like suggested to me probably because I had bought Call Me By Your Name at some point. <laughs> Go figure. So I bought it. I haven't read it yet, mm-hmm. but I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, but one of our coworkers, Stephen Horowitz, has read it. Mm. And he's like, the book is a little bit different because, and I won't say why, but he's like, oh, the book is a little bit different, um, but the same gist of the story, evidently. Well, now that's intriguing. Yeah. I'll, okay. t- I'll tell you offline. I feel like it's already going to have an amazing soundtrack. Yeah. I, well, it's curated by Jack Antonoff, I think. Oh, well, then I right? obviously it'll have a wrong. good soundtrack. I might be wrong. Don't that's, quote me on I that. I hope you didn't make that up because that sounds great. I'm like, don't quote me on that <laughs> that I just said on this podcast. <laughs> um, well, now it's actually time for our interview with Zed. Uh, we recently had a really interesting chat with the superstar artist, DJ, and producer about his new hit single, The Middle, with Marin Morris and Gray. In our discussion, we get to hear about how Marin was a rather unlikely candidate for the track. Turns out Zed hadn't even heard of her until one of his managers told him to check her out. Um, and how the song got adopted by Target for their spring-style marketing campaign. It actually was organic i i was surprised i know because it feels like the middle bullseye target no kismet (laughs) um uh plus we asked the dj who spends a lot of time in vegas thanks to his long-term residency there what a typical night is like for him in sin city and how a certain legendary diva has been popping up in his set list recently Hmm. hmm so here's our interview with zed Welcome back to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Zed, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks for having me again. Of how course. Are you? I'm, I'm, I'm great, but who cares about me? It's all about you. Um, <laughs> your new single with Marin Morris and Gray, The Middle, came out in January, and it's already hit the top 40 of the Billboard Hot 100 chart and hit number one on the Dance Electronic Songs chart. So first off, congratulations on yet another thank hit. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Target is using the song as part of their, uh, they're calling it their spring style marketing campaign, uh, which started in early February. How did the Target collaboration happen? Did they come to you and say, we've got this great idea that you and Marin should do a song together? Or was it a little bit more organic? No, no, it was way more organic. Basically, um, there was this Target campaign and, you know, I always keep my label up to date on what I'm working on. Um, and so they knew I was working on the middle and I'm not sure if somebody from my label made that connection with that target logo being, you know, kind of based around the center of the middle. Ah. But um, they reached out to the label and were like, hey, this is the campaign. We're looking for the right song. And they were like, hey, we have the song. You know, Zed has a new song coming out. It's called The Middle. Um, so they presented it to me and I was like, well, that's pretty ideal. And the timing happened to be perfect as well, which is rare that it works out like that. Um, and then they heard the song and they loved it and they were like, yeah, that's exactly what we want. Back then it was with another singer. Um, so then, you know, that was, I forgot like a month or two before it came out. And then, um, you know, we decided to change the singer and then I asked my manager, is that still okay? Can I still do that? So we, we asked, is it okay if I swap the singer in favor of somebody I'd prefer to have on the song? (gasps) 
And they were like, no, no, it's totally fine. It doesn't change anything. And uh, then I finished the middle with, with, with Marin. And when they heard that, they, they actually liked it so much, they tried to get it into their commercial because that wasn't even part of the conversation at first. It was really more about that Grammy performance. Um, so it ended up, actually, they liked it so much that they ended up um, taking it for the entire spring campaign of, of, of their commercial, which is obviously incredible for us. Wow, that is amazing. And and uh, not to belabor the point, but why did the previous vocalist uh, not work out uh, to your um, to your however you want to perceive it? Like, why did the the original vocalist not sort of work out as well as Marin did? Right. Well, to take you even a step further back, um, maybe four or five months ago is when we started recording the first singers for the middle. Um, and we, I don't remember the exact number, but I'm pretty sure we're at 14 different singers. Wow. And they range everywhere from from somebody who was on, a, you know, uploaded a YouTube video of them singing to A-list superstars. Um, even at the point where I already previously had been happy with a singer, some people asked me, hey, could I cut the middle? I love the song. And I was like, well, I don't want to waste your time because I think I have what I want. And then they were like, no, I still want to cut it. And I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> so we ended up having way more than we even ever asked for. Um, and it just seemed to be a song that everybody was really excited about, which is really awesome for me because it shows a really organic interest in the song, which luckily happened to you know, carry over onto fans liking the song. But um, you... You know, it would be really nice for us to sit down and I could show you a bunch of the different versions and then you can tell me how they make you feel because there's a really, really big difference about, uh, you know, how you perceive a song based on how words are carried because mm -hmm. it's not just a note and a lyric that you combine. It's really about how you sing it and you can almost see somebody's face in your mind when you hear somebody sing. Yeah. And some of them just sing it well and, you know, some of them are incredible singers, but... It almost felt like they've never heard the song before. They're just reading it off a piece of paper, but they're singing it really well. And then when Marin sings, really, to me personally, the song is a is a constant buildup. It just gets more and more exciting. And the bridge, which is oftentimes a kind of boring moment in a song, <laughs> is my personal favorite moment. It's where she's so vulnerable and just her in a small guitar. And you really hear every breath and you hear every squeak and everything. So um, I just think that she carried it the best so uh, to, to uh to th for those listening if any of you were one of the 14 singers before marin uh it's nothing personal uh it's it was simply a matter of um marin having the right interpretation for the right song at the right time and yeah it's you know and i'm always very open about this it's, i'm not trying to be shady when i record singers <laughs> a lot of the times i'm 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 open about my process and that's just how i like to do things because Sometimes you imagine a vocalist on a song and in your mind it sounds amazing, but then you realize, you know, every singer has their own little habits and right. sometimes they just don't align and it happens all the time. It happened to the song that I'm going to be releasing after the middle eventually that I have this artist I've wanted to have on the song so bad. And then, you know, when we recorded, we realized, wait, maybe it's just not the right fit. Right. So it just, as long as you're open and honest about it, I think nobody takes it <clears throat> personally. Yeah. We've also had singers who sang it and jumped off because they decided they don't want to be on the song and it's not the right thing for them. 
Hmm. You know, it happens both ways. Uh, someday we'll get the mashup of all 15 singers together on one <laughs> thing. Like it's a... I mean, we've been joking about releasing an album of 14 metal. There you go. Uh, it's a great remix package. That'll be amazing. Um, yeah, right? Was, so it was, was it your idea to, to get Marin on the track? Did you just really enjoy her voice and her work before this? Because it, so, when, when I saw the press release about the track coming out, I was sort of surprised because I thought that it was interesting and surprising that Marin would kind of go in a pop dance direction, which isn't really something that she's done before. So it, it kind of took me by surprise. How did it, how did you get Marin on the track? Um, so I didn't even know about Marin until Dave, my manager, showed me her voice. Wow. So Dave, um, I have two managers, Tim and Dave, and we kind of um, split the work into t- uh, Dave and I doing all the musical stuff together and Tim and I doing more of the business side together. But in the end of the day, obviously all working all together and dave had shown me always and constantly does all these up-and-coming artists who i fall in love with uh you know from troy savant to logic this is years ago um you know foxes john belly and he showed me all these artists is like i think they are going to be really big they're really great and I end up working with these artists who end up being you know really big some yeah. of them bigger than i am um and um same with Marin. he showed me Marin. i was like well this is a perfect voice this is what we need. So I had Marin cut just a little rough demo just so I can kind of picture her voice on the song and not waste her time. And it was super close. And all I wanted is specific words, um, you know, sung a little bit differently, less vibrato here, more vibrato there. So then I just flew to Nashville a few days after to record it with her. Had you been to Nashville very much before? Not very much. (laughs) I've been to Nashville and it's actually been the kind of slow market for me. Uh, in North America, to be honest with you, um, maybe because the music culture there is, you know, oriented slightly differently and not so much focused on electronic music. It's but a, um, it's, a, it's a little bit country in Nashville, you know, <laughs> more than a little bit yeah. <laughs> in a good way. Though. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of a lot of talent. And I actually have friends who are musicians who moved to, uh, to Nashville from L.A. Um, I feel like it's popping and, and there's a lot of people moving there right now. Um but yeah, I haven't spent a whole lot of time in Nashville, to be honest. Did you get to? Uh, did Marin take you out for dinner, or did she, like show you the you know the row or any like cool restaurants or anything? So I I'm, <laughs> I met Marin twenty minutes before we started recording. Well, that's crazy because this was all a really last minute thing. Uh, I was like, okay, I'm flying to Nashville. I'm going to record her, um, and I arrived at night right before we recorded and woke up in the morning, met Marin, and then we recorded the song, and then I flew out two hours later. So it was a really quick trip. Um, and also, because we had the whole Target campaign, I didn't have the position of where I could take as much time as I wanted. I did have a strict deadline. I had to make sure that everything sounds good and I had to mix it, which always takes a little bit of time. Um, so it was a quick in and out trip, and then I started working on the vocals right away. Wow. Well, you'll have to make a return visit sometime and actually have some real quality for time sure. with Marin. Oh, yeah. No, no, for sure. Does it seem like, you know, because we've, we've seen, um, you know, you with Marin and, and Florida Georgia Line, another country act with the Chainsmokers mm-hmm. working together and and Carrie Underwood, you know, a big country star worked with Ludacris recently. Yeah. It seems like country music, specifically country artists, have really kind of been more open to the idea of working with pop artists. And pop artists have been, you know, really cool about mm. working with country. And that's... That's not that wasn't typical, you know. You know, a, a couple of years I think ago. You're right. Yeah. Um, I did, think you're right. And sorry. No, go ahead. Finish. Please expand. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, I was going to say that I think three years ago, roughly, um, a country artist actually asked me to produce their entire album, 
And I, w- I remember that being kind of, although I didn't end up doing it because of time issues, um, I loved the thought that somebody thought of me as a musician uh, because they didn't want me to make them an electronic album. They just liked my musicianship and wanted that input in their country album. Hmm. I really was flattered by that. Uh, and I, when uh, my manager showed me Marin, to be completely honest, I actually didn't even really fully know her what she does like if she does country music or if she did a country song when i go into this mode where i analyze somebody's voice i can listen to a song and i will not remember any of it or the lyrics or any of it i just kind of analyze the vocal texture i try to figure out where the sweet spot is in the voice what the range is to kind of imagine in my head what that would sound like on my song so i just loved her voice and strictly based on that i wanted her to do the middle i didn't even know what she did i didn't know anything about her i just loved how she sounded that's a i mean that's a really great way of going about it you know you know you're just you're just hearing people for their musicianship or their their artistry or their voice and you're not getting um sort of um you know you're not getting uh, things confused by genres or boxes or having someone in a category that oh i shouldn't work with them because they're this genre you're just looking at them because they're they have great talent and that's a really that's exactly. a great way to do it. Um, it's honestly a freeing way to see it. Because yeah. the more you know and the more you care, the, the more you limit yourself unnecessarily. Like, why does anything, especially nowadays with the streaming world we have, um, like, why does it matter? Nothing matters other than making a great song. And in terms of your collaborator, whoever can carry your vision and emotion as best as they can, that's who you should go for. Nobody cares. I feel like more than ever... The big names, and I'm not trying to sound mean by any mean, but the big names just really don't matter. What matters is the the song, mm-hmm. and and people love listening to music. And what do they care if they listen to a playlist, whether that person has three thirty million listeners or three million listeners or thirty? Right. You know, they just want to hear a good song. Uh, so does does this mean that there's like more songs from you and Marin coming later, or is this the first of many, perhaps? I mean, we haven't even talked about any of that yet. I loved working <laughs> well, let's with her. Well, start. <laughs> you know, I uh, I know she's working on her album, and if there's anything I can do to help, um, I don't know what exactly her vision is for that album. I'm obviously there. You know, same with Alessia. I know I offered her immediately if there's anything I can do to help. If my help is needed, I'm there. Um, but yeah, we, we didn't really talk about another song since it's still so fresh for us right. uh, that we're still just mainly excited about the middle. You haven't, you haven't actually... So well-received. You haven't actually performed it live anywhere yet, like with her, correct? Well, we did the, you know, the Grammy performance, which I guess isn't really live. It's kind of a recorded thing. Right. But on stage, I mean, we're definitely going to do it. The song is just uh, brand new, so I'm sure there will be a lot of opportunities that will come come along where we will perform it live. I would imagine so. Um, you're on a really great connection right now. Are you actually on a phone in a hotel room somewhere? Because you don't sound like you're on a cell phone. Oh, actually, I'm on a cell phone. Oh, you are? Wow, that's an amazing connection. Um, I was going to say, I was like, are you, because right, you're playing a show tonight in Vegas. You're playing at the Omnia tonight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. You you recently, and I'm switching gears a little bit, obviously. Oh, uh, good. You recently extended your residency with the Hakkasan Group through 2020, mm-hmm. um, and you're playing Omnia tonight, and you'll, you know, we'll see what, what Republic and, and Hakkasan in the next few years. Um, mm-hmm. what, what's it like for you in Vegas when you go and play shows there? Do you and all the other DJs with residencies like hang out together and like go out to dinner or you just fly in, play the show and fly out? Um, it really depends, honestly, when, uh, when there is a chance to hang out, we do hang out. 
uh, or get dinner together. It really depends on everybody's schedule. My schedule for all Vegas shows is always the same. We fly at 8 p.m. Uh, that's just how I like to do it. We, you know, land around 9, then we all have dinner together with all my friends because there's always somebody in Vegas. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> and then we hang out in my hotel room, have a drink, and then we all walk to the club together. I play anywhere from two to two and a half hours. Um, and then we hang out with everybody again, and then everybody parts ways. Um, and sometimes, you know, DJs aren't the same, um, same day in Vegas, and then we get to hang out, and sometimes that's not the case. Uh, but it's definitely always nice when it does happen. What's the um, like? What's the main difference, or what are the differences, if if much of any, between playing a you know a Vegas show like a residency show at someplace like Omnia or Hakkasan or what Republic, which is a very unique mm-hmm. situation, versus yep. you know one of your own shows or like a big festival show like playing like Electric Daisy or something like that? Is is there much of a difference? There's a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, I think Vegas is 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 a separate world. I think of it as a you know, there's my tour, there is festivals, and there's Vegas. To me, there's those three worlds exist, and they kind of live in the same world, but really have their own rules. Hmm. Um, at my own shows, I try to play as much of my own music as possible. Um, my fans love the, you know, the album tracks, and I get to play all this crazy stuff. Um, with festivals, it's kind of a mix of both. I'm not going to play all the deep cuts from my album because, you know, people are there, they have a great time, they don't really know them and i feel like sometimes it bores them right uh and in vegas it's it's a completely different thing first of all i play way longer um i get to play songs that like i just started playing whitney houston um that's as you should you know, as play. you should it's whitney <laughs> you know, come you, on you can play a li- <laughs> no that's true I mean, all respect to whitney but it's just not something i would have decided to play on my tour so you get to have a little bit more fun in a different way play some classics play every genre you want to play luckily vegas really moved into this direction where you can play anything you want i used to be able to used to be pretty focused on my type of genre and uh now i'm pretty open about any you know any genre i want to play and having you know success uh with my own music obviously really helps in my vegas shows specifically right now is considered off season have actually been probably bigger than the ones in the peak season just because there's probably a lot of of me on the radio and people oftentimes come to Vegas and they're visitors and they're like, Hey, what we're going to see today. Oh, let's go see Zed. So, you know, that's kind of how it works sometimes. And that's been pretty beneficial, I guess. Yeah. There, there's just a little bit of you on the radio, sir. Uh, you know, you've been, you've been kind of <laughs> successful the past few years. I mean, I'm just saying, um, well, this has been so much fun chatting with you. I'm sorry to have kept you a little bit longer like than it. anticipated. Oh, um, no, no, no. It's all good. I hope you have Pleasure. an amazing show tonight. Is any Whitney going to be factoring into the show tonight at Omnia? I, I don't know if I can let her go because I've been enjoying playing it so much that I might try to squeeze it into every set I can. Is it is it one of your own remixes of Whitney or is it like someone else's remix? I just play uh, Want to Dance with Somebody. I just cut it a little bit shorter wow. um, because I felt like the intro was a little bit long. And then I added a build-up into, and then I can drop it into any song in that key, which I have about four to choose from. Wow. Well, uh, if anyone is listening and going to see uh, Zed at a Vegas show, you might get a Whitney treat. Uh, maybe you'll play That's some, right. Maybe you'll play some yeah. other pop divas that you haven't worked with. I don't know. Throw some Mariah, Madonna. I don't know. Celine. Who love knows? that. <laughs> I love it. I'm down. All right. Thank you so much, sir. Oh, thank you. Yeah, 
Thanks again to Zed for taking the time to chat. I really wanted to actually just talk for longer um, because he, it was just a super interesting conversation. Um, and I totally want to take him up on his offer to have him show us how he pieced the middle together. Oh, my goodness. Because, I mean, you just heard him say, he's like, oh, I want to. Sh- I would love to show you. I'm like, please, feel free to bring your laptop to me. It's like our special Charlie Puth episode where I you know. got to go in the studio. Now, with Zed, that would be... I mean, it would Char- be incredible. Charlie was, like, obviously super interesting, but, like, with Zed, that would be super fascinating, All right, too. we're hitting up his rep, Chris, and we're telling him when we are in Vegas for the Billboard Music Awards Ooh, in May... If Zed is there at the same time. Can we stop by his, like, short to be like penthouse Palatial private penthouse. studio Absolutely. or whatever in Vegas. Yes. Yeah, so let's, that's coming. Let's do that. <laughs> and now with the 90th Academy Awards taking place this Sunday, March 4th, we're going to dive into all things Oscar. And to do so, we're joined by the senior awards analyst at our sister publication, The Hollywood Reporter, who also hosts his own popular podcast, Awards Chatter, Scott Feinberg. So welcome, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. Honored to be here. Um, Well, we want to get your expert opinion, as there's likely no one at The Hollywood (laughs) Reporter or Billboard who is better at uh, Oscarology. Well, thank you. You you make... uh, you, you make a big challenge for me here, because if I blow it, now I'm in trouble. But <laughs> we'll try. Exactly. We've yes. set you up to fail. Yes. <laughs> um, well, you spend months uh, forecasting who the nominees will be, and then ultimately uh, you, know, you arrive at your final predictions mm-hmm. for who will win each of the 24 categories. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you sort of arrive at your forecasting throughout the year? Sure. Um, I think that a big part of it is just being familiar with the history of the Academy and the various categories and uh, their their tendencies. There are certain categories that just you know you have to actually really know the voting procedures also because what people don't necessarily know is that nominees in all categories except picture are determined by people in only the people from that specific area. Right. But then the winners are determined by everyone. So it's a very different kind of thing that happens when you're picking the nominees for best makeup and hairstyling and just as an example and they may feel that wonder the movie this year uh or from 2017 they may feel that that's the movie that deserves to win but they also have to nominate the rest of the category but then it goes to the full academy who are less familiar with what great makeup is Mm -hmm. and they just tend to vote for the movie that they like the most in that category which this year would be darkest hour now i'm not saying that Darkest Hour wouldn't be a worthy winner, but these are things that are helpful to know that, you know, if it was only, if it were only the makeup people that were choosing the winner as well, you would typically have a different result. So it, it helps to know that. It helps to know historically how different categories have panned out, what kinds of movies these guys respond to. And that applies to music as well, of course. So like in the, for the, for the music categories, Uh, so the, the way it works, there's like what something like seven thousand Academy members around there, yeah. And there's like maybe like four hundred or so in the music branch, right? Right. You've got only four hundred or whatever it is of that seven thousand are really music experts, right? Yeah. But then they are a small percentage of the people who are going to pick the winner for best original score and best original song. So what's weird is that people who really know music may actually and in fact are quite likely to not agree with the final choices in those categories because they're not the ones that are primarily making them. 
Right. So it's a weird system. I don't love it, but that's the way it is. <laughs> so you, you start off with experts nominating, and then it opens up to right. every Joe Schmo. Right. Like, what's suddenly qualified a, a costume designer to pick the best original score? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. And but they, hopefully they saw all yeah. those films. And, <laughs> and often they don't. We, we do yeah. this thing where we talk to the voters uh, and actually get them to – we call it Brutally Honest Ballots. It's a popular feature that we do the week of the leading up to the Oscars. Our first one is going up uh, short. And basically, we say we're not going to identify your name or anything that would give you away. So just tell us how we're going to go category by category. How did you decide what you vote, what to vote for, and what were your thoughts? Walk us backwards from you know when there were five, you eliminated this one, and they're because they have nothing to lose. They're honest. Like sometimes they didn't see any of the nominees in the category, or they saw just one and they liked that, so they might vote for that. One time we had a guy say he loved the poster. <laughs> I oh, mean, there's man. weird. So people get infuriated. Big movie buffs get infuriated when they read this column because they say, I have to pay for my tickets. I don't get screeners, and I see all the movies. What's your problem that you can't do it? But, you know, a lot of these guys are in the middle of their careers, and it is it is tough. It's like, why aren't they taking it as seriously as right, everyone else right, seems to be? Right. Um, is there a rule that you have to vote in every category, or can you no, skip categories if you don't know you enough can, about the nominees? Abstain, and they encourage you to do that, but people like to... You know, weigh in even if they haven't seen all five. They they don't. It's just sort of for many people they don't want to leave an empty space mm. on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this year an interesting example might be with best animated short, where you've got one of the entry. That's a category many people just skip over generally. But Kobe but Bryant, Kobe Bryant's in there. And even if they haven't seen the Kobe Bryant short, even if they haven't taken the five minutes to watch that, they do know that the short called Dear Basketball is the one about their L.A. hometown hero. So there's a chance they will just vote for it because it's him. Now, it, other people will vote for it because it's really good, but there's mm. you, see, you have this whole uh, – you've got to factor in all these things. So knowing all that craziness, <laughs> um, we specifically have you here yes. to get your analysis of the possible winners in the two music categories. Yes. Um, original score and original song. Yes. So let's start with score. Yes. Um, let me just give the nominees out to mm-hmm. the listeners here. We have uh, Dunkirk, Hans Zimmer. Mm-hmm. Phantom Thread from Johnny Greenwood. Of Radiohead. Radiohead. Mm-hmm. The Shape of Water from Alexander Deplat. Let me just butcher his name. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi from John Williams. And Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Carter Burwell. Right. So let's keep this very simple. Who is going to win this and why, Scott? Well, I'll, I'll preface the answer by just saying it's a it's a unfortunate thing that you know Carter Burwell's done a, all the Coen Brothers score. He's a you know terrific composer. Never won. Um, same with Johnny Greenwood. Never won. You've got John Williams, who's won more than anybody alive. I <laughs> he's think more than he's probably won more than he's been nominated for. It's amazing, <laughs> and he's the most nominated living person for any category. I think it's fifty one or fifty two right now for him over the years, but. Uh, I think they're what from from talking to voters. My sense is that they don't want to, you know, they don't feel that for the Last Jedi he's doing anything that's as groundbreaking as some of the other stuff he's done. Mm-hmm. Plus, they feel he's very well taken care of. So I don't <laughs> think he's uh, gonna, it's not going to happen for him this year. In all likelihood, um, I think that both Greenwood, who his score is terrific, and a lot of voters have. Um, you know, really responded favorably to it. One of them said it's the one score that I would like to listen to apart from the film, mm. and they do sometimes get the opportunity to do that because they send things out. But uh, Carter Burwell, I think Three Billboards, the, the score is not as distinctive and memorable, so I, I don't think that's a real threat, which leaves you with Hans Zimmer, who's a past winner, and Alexander Desplat, who's a past winner. And I think it's going to be very close between them. I think that the more 
liked movie is The Shape of Water over Dunkirk. I also know there are a number of people who have raised issues with just the sound design overall of Dunkirk. They feel that it's overwhelming. It's very loud, as which has been a complaint about other Nolan movies. <laughs> they feel that it's almost indistinct. What's the word? Uh, <laughs> indistinguishable from the drone of the the propeller of, of the plane, which mm-hmm. is one of the storylines. A lot of things where they feel that and that's not Hans Zimmer's fault, and the score itself, to me, I thought was a central part of what made the movie uh, a cool, intense experience. But I do get the sense that the Academy, like BAFTA, like the Golden Globes, are going to end up going with the spot for The Shape of Water. Okay. There we go. There, there is, there is, you already have one out of 24 if you're doing your <laughs> Oscar ballot pool at home. You've got one out of 24. Um, um, well, next, let's move on to original song. Yes. Um, and here are the nominees, and we'll play you a little bit of each song after we introduce them. Mm-hmm. So we have Mighty River from Mudbound, music and lyric by Mary J. Blige, Raphael Sadiq, and Tora Stinson. Mystery of Love from Call Me By Your Name, music and lyric by Sofiane Stevens. Remember Me from Coco, music and lyric by Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez. Stand Up for Something from Marshall, music by Diane Warren, lyric by Diane Warren and Common. If you don't stand for And this is me from The Greatest Showman, music and lyric by Binge Pasek and Justin Paul. Okay, so let's go down the line here. Um, Why could each of these win? Sure. And why might they lose? Yeah, let's do it. Um, Starting with uh, Mighty River. So Mighty River is... You know, very known to, uh, you know, people realize that the song from Mudbound is also by the star of Mudbound, Mary J. Blige. Um, I think they, her her narrative has been out there a lot, both with the Golden Globes and the Oscars, to get an acting and a music nomination yeah. is a, a very rare thing. In it's, fact, it's, unprecedented it's happened, with yeah. the Oscars. The Globes had done it, I think, with Barbara Streisand and a few people, but... Um, so there's that, and also I think in its it, it's in its corner is the fact that it is on Netflix. So voters don't even have to get off their ass to put it in the screener; right. they just put it on Netflix. So I think it's been seen a lot, and that helps because most of the time people will not vote for something they haven't seen, and that is the disadvantage of a few of the others that we'll come to. Mm-hmm. But Mudbound. Mary J. Blige, that's that's the, the big thing for it. I think working against it is the fact that it's an end credits song. Mm-hmm. So when voters, if they choose to be diligent, uh, they can go onto their Academy account, their membership page or the website, they log in, and they show you how the song is used in the film. They clip where it's actually played. And that's not the most entertaining way to see a song used when it's the end credits. And that's why increasingly I think those are you know that was always a way that people kind of got away with you know just trying to get a nomination they throw a song on to the end but it can backfire if people are doing what they're supposed to do which is evaluating not only what is the best 
song, but really the best use of the song in the film. Yeah, the uh, voting guidelines, according to the Academy, okay, yeah, good. Um, works shall be judged on their effectiveness, craftsmanship, creative substance, and relevance to the dramatic whole, and only as presented within the motion picture. There you go. So already you're kind of at a disadvantage if you're an in-credit song, because yes, you may be sort of wrapping up the theme of the film within mm-hmm. the song, but still it's like, eh, you're an in-credit song. Right. Right, like exactly, but in credit songs have won before. They certainly have. Um, opening credit songs have won before. Yeah, um, you know, "Let the River Run" yep. was the opening of "Working Girl," but it was also yeah. used at the end credits. Uh, two different James Bond themes right. have won, and they were opening credits, but that also helps set up the entire film. Right. Um, but yeah, if you're in the movie, sung by a character, that kind of helps you a lot more. I think you're right, and and I just would mention that. You know, as you talk about different ways that songs are sometimes used more than once in a movie, what was really interesting with "Stand Up for Something," which is another one I know we'll come we to. We will get there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll hold, just hold your horse. Hold it. Uh, well, I just want to make a little reference because it'll, <laughs> it connects with what we're talking about. But then there'll be plenty more to say. Mm-hmm. But I just think that that is the rare song where it's actually they had the song and then they incorporated it into the score, which means you're hearing it throughout the film references to it Mm -hmm. and then you get the big payoff with the end credits so there's an end credit song that is i think somewhat beyond just being an end credit song um i had a few pros and cons that you did not mention which i will volunteer um uh i i would imagine that because mudbound is nominated for four oscars Mm -hmm. one of which is best song one of which is, is an acting nomination um, cinematography, and there's also a screenplay. Yep. So, Adapted, it, yep. so in theory, it has support from the writers branch, the mm-hmm. acting branch to a certain degree, mm-hmm. and the cinematography branch. So that means maybe those folks that supported them there will turn up in the music category. It's certainly possible, potentially. Well, it, yeah, I mean, but then again, you have "Call Me by Your Name" nominated for the same screenplay category. But also, I think you know this. We we I I have been caught making the mistake in the past where you look at the movie with the most nominations and you think. That means that's the most liked movie. But in fact, a movie like The Shape of Water, which has the most nominations this year, in it, it just because of the palette on which it's sort of made, it is a movie with a lot of technical demands and things that a movie like Get Out just didn't ask of its craftsmen. So it's right. not that it wasn't liked; it just was not the kind of thing that you're going to nominate for best, you know, sound mixing. So right. it's not necessarily reflective of how people feel about a movie to count the number of nominations. Good point. Um, well, Should we move on to your favorite? Oh, <laughs> now we're doing these in the order that they are listed on the Academy's website, so yes. I am not preferential to this one, sure, <laughs> but I am. Um, so, Mystery of Love from Call Me By Your Call Name. By your name. Uh, pros? I think it's a, it sounds to somebody who doesn't know much about its, its songwriter, like myself, like a... A uh, song, almost like I think to me, like "Bridge Over Troubled Water" or something cla- out of a different era, um, but also kind of timeless. So even if you know, I, th- I know that Sufjan Stevens has a very, ex- very uh, ardent following, but I, I don't know that he's as familiar to Academy members. We're as- in the pros here, Scott. No, no, no. So I, I guess with the pros, it's in, it's in the movie. It's the only one that's it's in a movie that is nominated for best picture and that's a that tells you that that's the only way you can really tell that they really like the movie you know versus these others the only apples otherwise it's apples and oranges so here they all were eligible for best picture that's the only one that got Mm -hmm. there so i think there's that there's also the fact that um 
I think it is integrated more into the film than some of these others, and I'll allow you to, if you'd like it to... It actually has its own, it gets its own scene in the film. Yeah. Out, out, of the, out of the five nominees, two were in credit songs. Two are actually performed within the film mm-hmm. by a character or multiple characters. Yeah. And then one song, Mystery of Love, is actually heard in a important scene, yeah. but you know it's not like a death scene or right. anything. Um, or the peach scene. Um, <laughs> but there is music playing during the peach scene. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, that's existing work, so yeah. we, can't, we, can't, we can't nominate that. Right. Um, you know, I would imagine some pros, um, mm-hmm. I thought because it's nominated for Best Picture, mm-hmm. um, that would help because that shows there is some sort of widespread support right. across the Academy. But then again, it could have it literally been the ninth place finisher out of the nine, but we don't know. Right. Um, and I would assume that because this film has a rather rabid fan mm-hmm. base, mm-hmm. I would imagine that probably translates to not just from sort of people like me, mm-hmm. but also actually Academy members. And maybe a lot of the younger Academy members or the newer voters mm-hmm. who came in in the past three years when they've really been aggressive with younger, more diverse mm-hmm. folks, that could help it. Where if you're just voting down the line right. and you're going like Timothy Chalamet, you know, James Ivory, right. you know, Best Picture. And yes, of course, if you're, mm-hmm. you're voting for all four because you love the movie that much. It's very possible. I think with with uh, song, it, it is maybe at a bit of a disadvantage that that's not the kind of song that you, at least I, for me and people I talk to, you don't come out of the movie like kind of humming or dancing to that song. It's no. very, it serves the film, <laughs> no, you don't. but it's not a catchy song like some of these others are. And I think that, works against it if you look at the kinds of songs that they have recognized in the past as a full academy voting let it go um you know things like that it's very different than what we're talking about here although they you know there there have been a, a very wide mix of songs that they have recognized in the past but i just i also don't think sufjan stevens is somebody that who is as well known to academy members as you know even diane warren who's not she's not front and center on a lot of stuff but people know her work and they know nine nominations over 30 years and all that but certainly common and people there there are people that are more in the demo of most academy members i right. think though on the ballot though the names exactly. of sophie stevens and diane warren and common are not on the ballot true. it is just the song title and the name of the film mm. very true um we can move on okay next um, up we have remember me from coco i think that one is very well positioned to win. I think it is the only one where the song is repeatedly played in different ways throughout the film. Three different times three in the context times. of the film, is, if I'm correct. At least. Plus a fourth yeah. in the end credits. Yeah. And, and yeah. in different ways, too. It's it's it, many different incarnations. It is integral to the story. It, I think, also because of the nature of the story and also the delivery of the song, it could reach people who want to applaud a uh, multi-language kind of song it might you know that just certainly broadens the appeal doesn't limit the appeal it is catchy in the way that some of these others that i've I've mentioned they they tend to go for um i mean i've talked to grizzled cynical old academy members who say damn it i can't get the song from coco out of my head hmm. and you know it's literally called remember me yeah like remember me yeah you can't sending a it, subliminal message exactly not so subliminal and by the way any academy member who has a kid has been subjected maybe even more than <laughs> they'd like to coco and its songs <laughs> so you know i hmm. think there is a a lot going for that and there have there there's a long history of the academy recognizing 
songs from animated, primarily child-targeted movies. Disney Pixar films yes. have a nice long history between yes. Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and Let It Go and exactly. Tarzan and the whole shebang. Exactly. They all tend to win. If, if you know, I would understand somebody saying, well, why would this group of, if they're you know, still primarily older people, uh, why would they go for a movie, a song from a kid's movie? But they've done it. I mean, they, and they're, part of that is that some of them do follow the, what their instructions are, which are evaluate the song in the context of the film, but, you know, don't hold it against the song that it's in a kind of movie that's not your favorite genre or whatever. It's, does it serve the film? And I think with a lot of these animated films, they certainly do. Any huge, like, big, huge con to this? Some people won't watch the movie because <laughs> it's a kid's movie, you know. Or they're or, like, you, you guys already won for Let It Go. We're not going to give it to you again. There's that. There's that. Well, and that's the thing. Yeah, we should say Bobby and Kristen Lopez are, um, you know, these are guys that I think he's an EGOT and she's almost an EGOT. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they did win only two years ago. So there might be some, for people who are aware of that, maybe they want to spread it around. But then you come to the, then you come to This Is Me. These guys won just last year. So I don't know that people hold that against it. I don't know how many people are even aware right. of those kinds of stats. Mm. Next up. Uh, we have Stand Up for Something, which yes. you already mentioned, uh, from Marshall, which is uh, music by Diane Warren and yep. lyric by Diane Warren in common. Yeah. Well, I have, I have a feeling you're rooting for this one. I kind of am. I love Diane, and I love Common, and I think it's a great... Personally, I think it is the the uh, best song. Um, Just as a song on alone I think itself. so. I think so. The problem for them, obviously, is that I think fewer people by far saw Marshall than any other movie in that category. That's not a – I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that's the reality. It was yeah. not a successful movie. No one saw this movie. No one saw it. And, uh, you know, what I've learned with – in rooting for Diane in the past, just because, again, the narrative here, you got to – this is a brilliant songwriter who has – this is her ninth nomination spanning 30 years with all these other songs are ones that people – know and love and you know how do i live or i don't want to miss a thing how yeah. do i live these Nothing's are incredible stop now. and and you know i do find that even academy members who are not in the music branch know about her and her situation and there's a certain element of people that would like to just see her finally get recognized in the same way they want cinematographer roger deakins or other right. people but it's not but not but for this song well it's, when you're up against this is me and remember me it's a tough this one is me and remember, yeah yeah they're both two yeah me's. two me's the one i mean the thing here is that it is an homage to she has been very open about saying to some of these like 60s anthem songs right. and that may play into the demographic of the voters a lot of them are going to remember you know those kinds of songs but i think the the problem I, I really learned in, in getting burned by picking Diane in the past with the the year two years ago I think it was the year she had the song with Lady Gaga which got a lot of attention mm-hmm. because it was with Lady Gaga and a lot of people picked it but what we forgot is that again what you know coming back to what I said earlier people look at the ballot it doesn't say the names of the artists it says the song title and the movie and if they didn't see one of the movies they're not even really looking at it they're considering the best song in a movie that they've seen. And that was the year that she lost to Selma. Glory. Oh, no, to no, Sam, Sam Smith. Smith. Sam Smith. Yeah, um, and, and that, you everyone know, saw everyone saw a Bond movie. Yeah. yeah. And so this year, what that would suggest to me is that everyone saw Call Me By Your Name in the Academy. Everyone saw Coco. Everyone, a lot of people saw Mudbound. You know. Academy great. members probably didn't necessarily all see Greatest Showman, even though it was right. a box it office success. It ended up becoming a box yeah. office success. But. You know, part of the other thing we know about that is that 
for both Marshall and The Greatest Showman, these are their sole nominations for those movies. Mm-hmm. Right. So it did not click to whatever extent that, you know, with, with other branches of the Academy. So, yeah. It's worth mentioning, too, that Common did win for Glory. Yes, so exactly. There exactly. was that as well. And beat Diane because she was up for a Grateful <laughs> that oh. year. So this year she's like, why don't I just... Uh, yeah, if you can't beat him, join him. Let's get Common. <laughs> and next year she'll probably be writing with Pasek and Paul. Well, too. I was going to say. <laughs> so, so our last one. This yeah. is me. This is me from, from The Greatest, greatest Showman. Showman. Yes. Um, pro and Con. I mean, these guys are on fire. They're, they're on track to be the youngest EGOTs ever. They are missing only an Emmy... And one of them, I forget which, said to me... Justin's daughter? His daughter is named Emmy. Emmy, so he's like, yeah. don't worry, I'm all set. But the other one... So, you know, these guys are amazing. They did not only La La Land uh, music a year ago, but also Dear which Evan Hansen. Which won them the Oscar yeah, which for won City them. Stars. Exactly, and so well-deserved. But also then Dear Evan Hansen, which was the phenomenon on Broadway over the last year. Won a Grammy in January or February. Yeah, and uh, yeah. so it's just amazing, you know, talents, these guys... Their problem, as we, you know, just alluded to, is not a lot of people. I think in the academy saw the movie. It is a more, but but here's what they have going for them. It's the only song that's in a musical, right? And I think people sort of that helps you to associate. A, it's it's the kind of song that you know is what I think has been most recognized by the academy. Songs that are that. And I think people just uh, sort of uh, subliminally they think, oh, it's a musical. It's the same reason why. A lot of people thought with best original score last year that uh, that you would have La La Land winning because not often do musical scores get nominated for best original score because they're usually from some pre-existing material. Right. And yeah. so this was one of the rare times where one even got nominated. And then you had to say, well, it's going to the full academy. They're going to vote for the score from a musical. Right. So in this case, maybe they're going to vote for the song from a musical, and this one is a very catchy song. It's already outsold La La Land uh, CD uh, or you know whatever on the on the yeah, sales. The Greatest Showman is a huge hit. It was number one for two weeks on the Billboard yeah. 200 Albums chart. This is me is sort of it, it, it's a hit single. Yeah, um, and she Kiala. How do you? Kayala Settle. Kayala Settle. Oh, okay. I thought it was Kayla. I know it shows what I know. <laughs> the woman who plays the, the bearded lady yeah. in the film and has sings the song. Right. She's been performing it all over the place. Right. Um, if you just watched the scene of her singing that song in the movie mm-hmm. alone, it would probably convince you, even if you didn't see the movie. Right. Well, I wonder though because I was thinking about that, and I, I think that if you see the scene with no context. You're, uh, part of you can also be like, "What the hell am I watching?" Yeah. You're a bearded lady that's you know yeah. bursting like, out in and a song. There's like a, a little small boy, right. man, next right. to her that's singing part right. of the song. It's and- weird, but I think part of that is why the people behind that campaign have been so creative and aggressive in getting. They know that a lot of people did not see the movie. Who need to have if if it's going to win? Right. And so what they are doing is everything from uh, a, a kind of press heavy attended performance of the song at Darren Chris's mm-hmm. new club last to, weekend. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Last weekend. Yeah, yeah. last weekend. <laughs> to to then also getting it placed as the song of the Olympics. Right. This is me. Like you know, it was used I mean, they they've been very creative. And it did win the Golden Globe, mm-hmm. which suggests that people are listening to it even if they didn't love the movie because there that was the only thing that I believe Greatest Showman was recognized with. So I am very, very, very tempted to pick that song to win, but ultimately, I think that that "Remember Me" is is slightly 
ahead or has an easier road to victory. So That's, you're picking this as me. No, uh, no, I'm picking me. Remember Me from remember Coco. Me. Okay. But I am very hesitant about it because I think it could be this is me. It's really just a question of how successful was this campaign. And I think that it's if it does win, if this is me does win, it's really a testament as much as anything to the effectiveness of raising awareness for the song during this voting mm-hmm. period. It's been a very impressive effort, big push behind it. But I think that with even, you know, with less of a push, Remember Me feels more like the kind of thing that voters will go for. And I'm hearing anecdotally, although I would, you know, I'm hearing anecdotally that it's clicking with people, but I would also say that, you know, for any of us to claim that we're speaking to a scientific sample of <laughs> Academy members is nonsense because 7,000, you probably have to be talking to hundreds to really get any read. Right. And I talk to as many as I can, but I don't think anyone is talking to hundreds. And um, and if they are, it's it's news to me. So <laughs> I, I would just think that, I, you know, it could go any number of ways here. I personally would be thrilled if Diane finally gets it with Common. These guys did a great job. I, I think, you know, all these are, are worthy, but I think it's probably between Remember Me and This Is Me. The Me's. The what, Me's. What, did, yes. you, did you pick one for your final? I did. I went with Remember Me. Remember Me. I, there could be always be a vote split between Remember Me and This Is Me. Yes. Okay. And, then, and, then and then Diane. And then Sophian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sophian. So what are you guys? What's your will wins? Should wins and will wins. Oh, I, I, I think if we're voting on a song being used in a film propelling the story forward, it should be Remember Me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's performed three different times by three different sets of characters mm-hmm. in three different ways where it has three different meanings, um, and it's it moves the narrative forward and like uh, the story hinges on the song. I'm like that's that's what you want to me. Mm-hmm. That's what I want an Academy Award for song to represent. Yeah. I don't want it to be represent. Oh, I did a song after the movie was done and we sticked it on the credits. I'm like, right, really? Right, right. I'm like, meanwhile, like Gary Oldman is in like three pounds of makeup mm-hmm. on his nose, <laughs> and right. he no, that's right. I. You just, <laughs> I feel like Remember Me will win. Mm-hmm. I would love it if Sophian won, just because I I, sure. I I love Call Me by Your Name. Yeah. But I'm like, realistically, I think he's probably just happy to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's going to win and it and it, I think it should win. I right. thought this is me would win and I guess we'll find out soon well enough right. but um just knowing that what a role Pasek and Paul are on mm-hmm. and knowing that it's integrated into the story and in my mind I was thinking about it as a blockbuster movie and a blockbuster soundtrack but mm-hmm. to your point maybe the right people didn't all see it. A right. lot of people saw it but maybe not the right ones. So um, we'll see. Well, before we go, mm-hmm. we're yes. going to do our traditional chart stat of the week. It's, yeah. a, it's a feature that we do every week on Love the show. To hear it, yeah. um, but this time we're going to do it with Scott since it relates <laughs> to the Oscars. So many number one hits on the Billboard Hot 100 chart have also been Oscar winners for best original song, like Eminem's Lose Yourself and uh, Burt Bacharach and Hal David's Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, as performed by BJ Thomas. But. Which of the following number ones that were also original song nominees did not win the Oscar for original song? Okay. Scott's going to be good at this. I don't know. Oh, he'll, oh, he'll probably get it. I don't know. I'm going to know what's number one, but he's going to know what, <laughs> what won an Oscar. Well, let's um, see. So was it Gonna Fly Now from Rocky, which was written by Bill Conti, Carol Connors, and Anne Robbins? I believe Carol, I remember her winning. Uh, was it The Morning After from The Poseidon Adventure, written by Al Kasha and Joel Kirshorn? Or three... Was it Arthur's theme, Best That You Can Do, from Arthur, written by Burt Bacharach, Carol Bayer, Sager, Christopher Cross, and Peter Allen? I'm just stunned that all of the, those were all number ones on the Hot 100. Yes. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that B did not win, but I because I remember Bacharach winning for... There was one that he won two for, which was 
I think it would have been Butch Cassidy with like raindrops. Mm. That was raindrops, yeah. And also score that year. But did he also win for Arthur's? I think he did. Arthur's theme. I think. So we're between Gonna Fly Now and Arthur's and theme. And I know, I know, I'm pretty confident that Gonna Fly Now won because I remember. So I know Carol two of Connors. these did win and one didn't. That's what we're, so we're deciding which just, one just did not. Just pick the one that did not win. So it's, so it's I, the middle. What's, I what think was it's B? the middle. So it's Gonna Fly Now, The Morning After. The Morning After. Or I Arthur's think theme. the Morning After. We're did collaborating not win. on this one yeah. and going with The Morning After. Are we, are we wrong? You're both wrong. <laughs> It was Gonna Fly Now from really? Rocky. So what did Carol win for? She definitely won for mm. for something. I don't have that answer. <laughs> oh. But I can tell you what won the year that Gonna Fly Now lost. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. So this is 1976? Uh, or 75? Sure. sure. For Rocky. No, Rocky was the bicentennial year. So there that's 76. So what are the other movies that year? You got All the President's Men. You got Network. None of these have music. Uh, mm. You got... Um, this is fun. Uh, <laughs> this wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Was not. It was kind of obscure movie. I'm, no, it's not. Um, it's not obscure. It was a big hit film with a huge super, two huge superstar, superstars, superstars, superstars. Oh, um, uh, uh, it might be being remade. Barbara Streisand and uh, oh. Star is Born. Star is Born. Wow. Yeah. So it was Evergreen. And one uh, that year. Christopher Cross, yeah. And wow. Evergreen also happened to be a number one hit yes. as well. Yeah, that was huge, right? So yeah, I mean, Gonna Fly Now, you thought... I'm amazed that Gonna Fly Now was a number one hit. Like, I'm obsessed with it. It's incredible. Radio was a crazy place. So there's your chart set of the week, and perhaps a surprising number one that was not an Oscar winner. So, thank you, Scott, for doing this. Thank you. I'm sorry I blew that one. But... <laughs> <laughs> I was makes... happy I was going to have you as backup yeah. for that one because I had no idea. Now I'm going to go have to go listen to the morning after. <laughs> but that makes it fun. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, normally, we go out on a song. Um, yes. I think we're going to go out on one of our favorite, or at least one of my favorite mm-hmm. Oscar winning songs. Which is? Flashdance, What a Feeling. Yes. Um, Irene Cara. Yeah. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. <laughs> Bye.